Welcome to A Flame for Christ, homilies to set your heart ablaze with love for Jesus Christ. My name is Father Joseph Gill, a priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport, and this is Spiritual Warfare Part 2. So in our first episode of Spiritual Warfare, we're talking about the three sources of temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we're talking about why we find ourselves in this spiritual battle in the first place, because we live in enemy-occupied territory. This world is under the dominion of Satan because we gave that away when Adam and Eve fell at the very beginning. And ever since then, God has been trying to rescue his people from this slavery, this tyranny of Satan to try to bring them into the kingdom of God. But we noticed that there were three ways in which Satan tempts us. It's usually the world, the flesh, and the devilish pride that so often is rooted in our hearts. So how can we overcome these temptations? Well, thankfully, the church gives us three ways in which we can overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. So if the devil is our main temptation, if that pride is our main temptation, then the way to overcome that is through prayer. Because prayer acknowledges that there is a God and I'm not him. Prayer acknowledges that I desperately need God, that I can't do this whole life thing on my own, but that I am absolutely, totally dependent upon him. So it's kind of the, uh, the antidote to pride. If pride says I don't need God, prayer says I desperately need God. And so prayer must be not just something that we do at the end of our day just because we've got a couple minutes left, but the very lifeblood of a Christian. Prayer must be about us as the air we breathe, said St. John Vianney. And that's so true for a Christian because humility humility is prerequisite to prayer. Pride is a prerequisite to not praying. So if you're not praying, it's not just because you're too busy. It's because you think you don't need it. So we need that life of prayer. Okay, so we overcome the devil through prayer. How do we overcome the world? We overcome that through almsgiving. Almsgiving, a fancy way of saying giving to the poor or to the church, being generous with our money. This helps to take us away from the slavery to money, to help put it in perspective and say, okay, this money that I've been given is for me to be a good steward with. I need to store up the treasure in heaven, not the treasure here on earth. And I do that by using my money well for others, for the salvation of souls, for the needy, for to feed the hungry, give drink to the poor, because as Christ says, what you do for one of the least of my brethren, you do for me. Okay, so we got prayer. We've got almsgiving. But if our temptation is of the fleshly kind, the way in which we overcome that then is fasting. So we've got fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. Why does fasting overcome the prayer of the, fl- of the weakness of the flesh? Well, when people struggle with weaknesses of the flesh, whether that's a temper, whether that's eating too much, whether that's sexual sin, whatever it is, the ultimate really challenge is what is going to have mastery over you? Is it going to be your flesh or is it going to be your free will? Which one will be stronger? And we have to strengthen our free will. It's like a muscle. You can't, if you don't use it very much, you don't keep it very strong. So you have to constantly be using it over and over again. And one of the best ways to use that muscle of our free will is by choosing that which is difficult. So in other words, let's say I really want that chocolate bar at the end of my meal, but instead I'm saying, no, I'm going to give it up. Well, by making that choice, saying I'm going to give it up out of love for God or love for my neighbor, that is going to all of a sudden strengthen my will because now I'm choosing against my flesh. I'm choosing the freedom instead of the slavery. It's difficult, but the more we choose it, the stronger we become. And that's the reality about overcoming the temptations of the flesh is we need to have our our free will stronger than uh, the temptations of the flesh. Now, there's a lot of different ways in which we can fast. 
Obviously, fasting from food is good, you know, as long as it doesn't harm your health. Certainly giving up dessert or maybe not putting salt on a meal or not using condiments. Maybe it's uh, drinking only water and not iced tea or whatever you usually drink. But there are other ways to fast as well. For example, I know some people uh, that, for example, sleep on the floor, maybe once in a blue moon. Or I know people that take cold showers and don't use the hot water. Or maybe just not listening to music in your car. Or one of the best ways from St. Jose Maria Escrivá is by getting up without hitting the snooze button. In fact, he calls that, quote, the heroic moment. Because if you can do that at the very beginning of your day, then you've already done something heroic today. So whatever it is, find some way of fasting, because all three of these should be the practices that Christians engage in all the time, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And of course, during Lent, those are the three things that our church asks us to do, to pray, to fast, and to give alms, because that's the way in which we overcome the temptations of the devil. But you know, even before we face temptations, there are ways in which we can avoid them. Really, in this battle against evil, the victors are the cowards. What do I mean by that? I mean those who flee from the battle are the ones who are the most successful. So, you know, we shouldn't be sitting there trying to tempt ourselves. And there are three particular gates that we have to guard by which a temptation gets into our soul. So let's take a look at those three gates and how to guard them. So the first line of defense that our Lord gave us is our senses, is our senses. So guarding our senses, guarding our eyes, what we listen to in our music, the media that we watch, that's one of the first and most important gates that we, that we deal with. There was an old uh, commercial a while back about uh, a man, I don't re- even remember the commercial was for, but there was this man sitting in a coffee shop typing on a computer, and he looks up, and across the coffee shop, he sees this couple, and they are kissing. Not just a little kissing, they're like really kissing, like intensely. And the man looks up and then just gets this disgusted look on his face. And looks back down and starts typing. But the tagline of this commercial was, you can't unsee things. You can't unsee things. And that's actually a profound insight, that you can't unsee things. What goes in through your senses, you can never get rid of because it's in your mind. So the first thing we need to do then is to guard our senses. There's a lot of great examples in the lives of the saints. I think of the example of St. Dominic Savio, you know, the young schoolboy saint who died at the age of 15. And it was often said of him that he practiced such custody of the eyes that he would not even look a young woman in the face for fear that he become tempted by uh, the beauty that is there within. And so he would always look at the ground if he was speaking with women. And when he returned home after perhaps a long day out in the town of Turin, he said that he would have such piercing headaches from trying to control his eyes so intensely. But that's what all of us need to do. We need to practice that custody of the eyes and custody of the ears to make sure that whatever enters our senses is good. And a lot of times people will say to me, oh, Father, but it, it doesn't bother me. You know, I can watch this bad TV show. I can look at these bad websites. I can listen to this terrible music and, you know, it doesn't impact me. But the truth is it does in a couple ways. First of all, if you think it doesn't impact you, that means that perhaps you've become desensitized to sin. You know, if we watch enough movies that are gory or lustful, and we stop feeling the, the, like the revulsion, or we stop feeling the, the arousal, then that's actually kind of a sign that we've become accustomed to sin, which means that we're going to start minimalizing it in our own life. So that's one of the first things we need to realize. But also, it can become very subtle. You know, perhaps we'll listen to a song that's not very good, you know, not, not very healthy, and we may say, well, I don't, you know, just listen to it for the beat. I listen to it for the music. Okay, fine, but, you know, when we start singing that song again, when it starts replaying in our head, what are we going to think about? 
You know, it's that song that comes right back to us. So we have to guard our senses. That's the first line of defense. However, in today's, in the world, you can't always defend yourself against every evil. You're going to have evil entering into your senses, and even you're going to have good things entering into your senses that your mind is going to twist. So the second level of defense is your imagination. Now, I don't mean this in the kindergarten of sense of imagination. No, that's not what I mean. I mean techni- the technical Thomistic sense, when St. Thomas talks about the imagination, which is the faculty in your mind that brings images back into your mind's eye. So, for example, try right now to not think of an elephant. I bet you're thinking of an elephant, right? No, try not to think of one. No, you're still thinking of it. You see, that's the problem, is that when we try not to think of something that we have seen, it still becomes very present to us. So what do you do to avoid thinking about an elephant? You think about a squirrel, right? We take those negative images that are going to pop back up in our mind, and we replace them with something more positive. So perhaps we have in our life maybe struggled with pornography and seen things that we shouldn't have seen. Maybe we have uh, allowed ourselves to think thoughts of anger against a certain person, and every time that person's image comes to our mind, we feel our blood boiling again. So if that's the case, then when those images come up, what we do is we can't just get rid of them and leave a vacuum. We have to replace them with something positive. And that, I think, is why the rosary is such a powerful uh, uh, way of praying. It's often called mental prayer because you're, what you're doing is you're replacing that image, that nasty image, that dirty image, the image that it causes you such anxiety or stress or whatever, with something that's much more positive, like the image of Christ on the cross or the image of Mary receiving the Annunciation, or the image of Jesus rising from the dead. So you put your, you use your imagination to put yourself there in the scene of Christ's life or Mary's life, and in doing so, in looking upon the face of Mary, the face of Jesus, that's where we're going to find the uh, replacement of the negative image. So we try to control our thoughts and imaginations. So our first line of defense is our senses. Second line of defense is our imagination. The third line of defense, then, is our feelings. So, you know, often you'll often see those um, posters, motivational posters that say, oh, follow your heart, follow your feelings. Well, there's a great Christian movie called Fireproof that had a great line. They said, don't follow your feelings, lead your feelings, lead your heart. Because it's so true. We don't follow our emotions. Our emotions are, must be subsumed to reason. Give, let me give you an example of that. Let's say, for example, that, you know, you're walking down the street and you see someone trip and fall off the curb. And our, maybe perhaps our natural reaction is to laugh at that. It looks funny. Maybe you dropped a whole basket full of bananas or something like that. And all of a sudden you're laughing and laughing. But then time out. Should we be laughing at that? We should not. We should not be finding joy in someone else's injury. And so we need to check that emotion and say, you know what? Although on one level it's funny, I actually should be concerned about this person. So you should go over and help them up. Or, for example, let's say that a friend of yours um, gets a promotion, and by getting a promotion, gets a brand new car, and you're filled with that green envy, and, and you're like, oh, I wish that person hadn't done that. And all of a sudden, when you hear that news, you feel sad because the other person got a promotion and got this brand new car. Well, time out. We have to step back from our emotions and say, is this the proper emotion that I should feel? No, I should not feel sad about that. Actually, I should rejoice at another person's good fortune. And so we should not follow our hearts, but lead our hearts. Now, that's really tough. It's really tough. But the more we choose against that feeling, the more the feeling is going to come in line. So if in that envy example, if we're feeling envy over someone else's good fortune, we say, no, Lord, I I thank you for what you've given me. And I thank you for the gifts that you've given this person and how they're so blessed. And in saying that, 
all of a sudden we've defused the power of our feelings and our feelings may not go away immediately, but they're going to lessen. And if we say that over and over again, eventually our, our negative feelings are going to disappear. And instead we're going to be filled with gratitude and we're going to be filled with, uh, you know, a peace towards that person. So that's how we guard ourselves with the three gates of the senses, our imagination, and our feelings. But let's take a look, because we talked a lot about temptation. Temptation was the entire subject of the last spiritual warfare talk and the beginning of this one. But the evil one works in other ways as well. And there's just two I want to mention. First of all, oppression. And second of all, obsession. Because good Christians will deal with this on a regular basis. So oppression, what is that? That means that the evil one will throw roadblocks in your way when you're trying to do something good. So let's say you commit yourself to, for example, praying for 15 minutes a day. And for the first couple of days, it goes just fine. The third day, you start praying and all of a sudden you feel overwhelmingly tired and sleepy. Even though five minutes ago, you were totally well awake. Where's that sleepiness come from? Or maybe you'll have a piercing headache. Or maybe you'll be you know, praying and all of a sudden your cell phone will be start buzzing like crazy and all these crises will happen in your family or, or your work or whatever. And all of a sudden you get distracted from your prayer. Well, where could that distraction come from? I suppose it could be human-caused, but it could also be, just judging by the fact that it comes right as you're trying to do something good, it could also be from the evil one. And this is oppression, when the evil one throws roadblocks in your way in order to prevent you from doing something good. I think a great example of that, one time uh, there's this Catholic summer camp that I'm very involved in called Camp Veritas. And there was one particular kid from my parish named Tommy who I really wanted to go. He showed this great openness to Christ but he needed to take that next step towards being a serious disciple of the Lord. So he's there. I finally get him to go. And this is her first ever week away from camp. He just finished seventh grade. And I get there on about, I think it was on Thursday of the camp. And I get there on Thursday and Tommy comes up to me and says, I'm going home. I've got a sore throat. I'm like, what? You know, you're in the middle of July. I mean, why do you have a sore throat in the middle of July? It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And, and nobody else is sick in your cabin. So why do you have a sore throat? So we start talking, and I'm realizing all of a sudden that this is spiritual warfare, this sore throat that's going on. And he's trying to call his mom and dad, and thankfully his counselors are like, nope, nope, you're not going home. You're going to stick it out. So I go to the chapel. I go for two hours to pray for Tommy. I'm like, Lord, there's something going on with Tommy. And so finally, at the end of two hours, I, you know, I come back out, and, and Tommy's like, oh, he's down in the dumps. like, oh, my mom's not coming to pick me up. I'm like, yeah, good, good. So that night, there's a very powerful Eucharistic procession where the priest takes the Eucharist around to every kid in the camp. And there's about 500 kids there. And I was there, and I happened to be the priest that brought the Eucharist around. And as I brought it to Tommy, Tommy had a profound encounter with the Lord. He uh, received some incredible spiritual gifts at that moment. And after adoration, he came up to me like his face white as a sheet. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm now so totally in love with Jesus. I'm following him no matter what. He had this incredible conversion experience that night. And so, of course, what did Satan want to do earlier in the day? He wanted to prevent that from happening by giving him a sore throat so he would want to go home. So this is the kind of stuff that happens fairly regularly if you're serious about seeking the Lord, is you'll find ob oppression, that there's obstacles, there's roadblocks that seem to be inexplicable, but just so timed so perfectly that you're like, wait a second, is this just natural or did this come from the evil one? Finally, though, there's obsession. And just as you know, the Holy Spirit can inspire us and put good thoughts into our minds, so the evil one can put evil thoughts into our minds that don't come from us. And we have to realize that because sometimes people will be praying and all of a sudden the thought will come to them, I hate God, or I don't believe any of this, or I'm, I'm really mad at my 
parents so mad I'm going to kill them. You know, things that would be so extreme and so out of the, off the wall that you're like, wait, whoa, what, where'd that come from? That can be obsession, which is when the evil one puts thoughts in our minds to try to disturb us, to try to take away our peace. And so we have to recognize that for what it is and say, you know what? No, we don't need to be bothered. In fact, in all of this, whether it's temptation, which all of us experience, or possession, which very few of us experience, we have to remember that Jesus Christ is more powerful. And if Jesus Christ lives in us, then we are more powerful. In fact, Jesus says in the Gospels, he says, he who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world. That's what St. John writes in one of his letters. He who is in us, Christ and the Holy Spirit, is stronger, greater than he who is in the world. And so we must never get discouraged. We must never get frightened or frustrated in the spiritual battle. Even if we fall into temptation and fall into sin, the fact is, if we restore our souls to grace through confession, we are then more powerful than Satan. So we have nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. Christ has already won the victory. And if we fight on his side, then we too can win the victory. Finally, Father Gabriel Amorth, the Vatican's top exorcist, who did over 10,000 exorcisms in his lifetime, said that we have two weapons that are incredibly the most powerful against Satan. Now, usually when I ask that question, people are like, well, maybe it's the rosary, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. It's not the rosary. The rosary is a great, powerful weapon. But the two most powerful weapons we have are the Eucharist and confession. If you stay close to confession, going every month, if you stay close to the Eucharist, always receiving it in the state of grace with great fervor, then you have nothing to fear from the evil one. In fact, the evil one fears you because you, with Christ in you, becomes absolutely the most powerful force in the entire universe. And so as we continue to fight our spiritual battle, which all of us will do every single day of our lives, first of all, do not be afraid. But second of all, stay close to Jesus Christ and let him fight the battle in and through you. So even if you are weak, through you know, perhaps a weakness of the flesh or a desire for the world. Remember, we've got prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, which keeps us deeply connected to Christ, which helps us to overcome our weakness and the temptation, and eventually will help us to win the victory. 